Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to David Foster well, Wallace and Grommet. Today is, oh. <laughs> Today is uh, Tuesday, January 19th. Uh, you know, my name is George. With me, as always, is Steve. And welcome to the only officially unlicensed Infinite Jest fan cast, uh, where we discuss David Foster Wallace's seminal classic, as well as a, a weekly novella of our choosing, short story of our choosing, and culture at large. Uh, Steve, uh, talk to the people a little bit. How are you this, uh, this, this fine morning? Oh, I'm doing fine. Um, got a bit of egg on my face for not realizing we were recording. So a bit ashamed uh, for all you guys listening. Uh, my sincerest apologies. And I pray that it will not happen again. I tell you, you know what I was getting into last <laughs> night? I, um, we did movie club last night. Got on the call, goofed oh. around. Got on, the, got on the call, goofed around. But then uh, afterwards, mm -hmm. I said, I'm, I said, I'm not, it's, you know, it's midnight, but I'm not quite ready to go to bed yet. So okay. I, I booted up Escape Minecraft. from New York. I booted oh, up Escape okay. from New York, classic, uh, classic Kurt Russell at his, at his best, at his best and brightest. And um, had myself a little hot Cheeto, a hot Cheeto and some lemon Oreos while I watched Escape from New York. I tell you, whew, sounds like the plan for me, you know? People don't give lemon Oreos enough credit. The lemon Oreo is They're, the best Oreo. Got a lot of good ones. They've got the standard, then they've got the chocolate filled, then they've got the white, then they've got the birthday cake, then yep. they've got the strawberry cheesecake, then they've got the peanut butter. You had the peanut butter one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also have um, a, like a, a, I think like a peanut butter cookie dough one right now, and they have like a Java chip one too. Too much, if you ask me. Yeah, they go. Maybe they go a little too wild. Yeah. I mean, the, the like strawberry filling, I can get behind like the strawberry cheesecake and stuff like that. Birthday cake is kind of neat, sort of a silly, a silly homage to birthdays. So I appreciate that. That classic nod to birthdays. I think. Um... I mean, sometimes I just I just wish more companies, more more institutions in the business world would give an homage. Good old-fashioned homage to B-Days. Happy B-Day, everyone. Have you ever tried the um, Swedish fish ones? Oreos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have Swedish or fish Oreos. Swedish fish. Oh, the Swedish oh, I fish thought you were saying they have Swedish fish birthdays. No, I haven't. Maybe once upon a time. Maybe in, a, in, a, in, the, in the old world, in a party city world, you could probably get yourself a nice Swedish fish mm -hmm. birthday. Go there and get all the sure. accoutrement. Um, no, Swedish fish Oreos, you know not what I, bad. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, no, go ahead. No, Swedish Fish Oreos, not bad. Give your verdict. Give your verdict. They're not bad. Although, let me just let me just set the scene oh. for you. The other night, I found out that uh, all of Whose Line Is It Anyway is streaming on HBO. So sitting there watching some classic okay. Whose Line, eating a lemon Oreo. Oh, it can't be beat. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That's I a mean, that's a that's an evening in right there. Like I said, my my go to for okay, my go to for Oreo flavors is a little bit different. I would say, like I said, I'm more of a peanut butter man, or something something of the of the uh, festive peanut butter yeah. and or festive. So like the cake ones, cheesecake, birthday cake, brownie. Like uh, those, you know, I'm kind of a festive 
festive Fred is what they call me. Uh, yeah, you so like, like a... I'm sure there's a pumpkin one somewhere, like a pumpkin pie. Oh, there's definitely a pumpkin pie one. No, you you like a limited release. You like the ones that come in. The, my problem with the limited release is that yeah. they come in the smaller packages. The regular packages are like this big, you know, maybe like a foot, right. a foot long, but the, the limited right. ones are the little ones. But they charge the same amount for them. I hear you. Yeah. But I think, I mean, okay, let's go. Everything's got a downside. I don't, I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's kind of a moot point to try to do the Oreo power ranking because there's just too much to sift through too many special releases, too many limited uh, additions. But I think, yeah, I think for me, lemon is pretty close to the top. It it might be the top. I think I, I got, I've said it before, probably on this podcast, but I think the perfect fruit is a good lemon. I I think that my favorite flavor profile is like a well-balanced citrus. And, um, and I like the, the vanilla cookies when Oreo decides to do that, the the yellow cookies. Mm. Now, I think quickly, you know, right behind that, a close number two is going to be the mega stuff, the, the biggest past the, not regular stuff, not double stuff, but the mega, the thick ones, the huge ones, but those are kind of a novelty. And I think I like them only because at this point in my life, I don't eat a lot of candy. Um, I don't eat a lot of sweets. I don't eat a lot of processed sugar like that. So I like the idea of having like three Oreos and getting my fill of eating like three huge Oreos and being like, I'm good to go instead of the compulsion to eat an entire sleeve. But then, sure. But then in third place, and this is kind of a, this is, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to die on this hill, but I will, if I have to. It's any, it's any of the holiday Oreos where they don't change the flavor, but they change the cream color. It, for example, the Halloween ones where they change it to orange and then the cookie has like a little bat on it or the Christmas ones where they make it red and it has a little tree. That's gotta be my number three because it's classic. It's, 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 you're having a good time. It holds the same place in my heart as like, um, like the SpongeBob Kraft Mac and cheese, you know, I think, I think that. And I think I've, I think I've also said this before too, but I think that with junk food like that, um, they, they think that people just want a classic and then they want these kind of novelties for limited release. I say, do the novelty exclusively. You know, I say, cause like with like here, a good, a good example that I think people can get behind is like, um, is with fast food where it's like, you know, McDonald's once a year brings back the McRib and the Shamrock Shake and uh and whatever other gross shit they kind of wheel uh, out hold on i i really hate that i know this but isn't isn't the shamrock shake jack in the box no no it's mcdonald's you're out of your you're out of your goddamn mind you think that's jack in the box how dare you insult ray Kroc and the good mcdonald's okay, so corporation I'm, I'm i'm embarrassed in either way either either in any case i'm embarrassed because if i would have corrected you on where the shamrock shake comes from it's you know how how on earth does he know that he must be living in in the uh, in the basement of X Y and Z fast food restaurant, and now since I don't, I've got egg all over my face, and I'm you know I'm basically a big old galoot. Oh, sometimes you got to go galoot mode, especially for twenty money one. It's galoot. It's galoot central over here. Um, I, I, I'm I'm going into the new year basically feeling in uh, like it's galoot season. Let's oh. say. We uh we watched the Flintstones movie not too long ago and they're throwing galoot galoot around a lot in that. What's another one? There's another there's another oaf word that starts with a G. 
let us know in the comments what that other oaf word is. That's a, that's a little a little teaser for everyone next week. Let us know in the comments, and you'll win a free piece of David Foster Wallace and Gromit merch. Wait, I gotta watch. I've gotta watch that. It's the what? The John Goodman, or are you watching the animated series? The John Goodman one. John Goodman. I gotta Rick watch Moranis. that again, only um, for sound effects. It's it's a wild movie. It's yeah, uh, I gotta it's I gotta get cool. To, you know, move the toes. Yeah. Well, and then the it's uh it's funny because I was we're watching it and it's like it at the time I'm sure they pitched it as a kids movie, but it's about like um it's about like Fred and um oh my god what's his wife's name Wilma Wilma uh like potentially getting a divorce. It's about corporate espionage with um with Mr. Slate has like his back turn and and I forget who Kyle McLaughlin plays, but him and his secretary is played by Halle Berry are like trying to embezzle the company. It's very, it's very like um, watch that again. self-aware, like Flintstones grows up. It's fun. It's a fun movie. Although I yeah. got to say, I think I almost prefer uh, Flintstones uh, Viva Rock Vegas with well, uh, Alan Cumming as the great Gazoo uh, as that little green boy. Um, yeah. But no, I was just going to say, I, also Jack in the Box makes a mighty fine shake. I will say that. I have no, I have no, great, you know, yeah. no bones about saying that. But no, I was going to say like, um, yeah, McDonald's once a year brings back the McRib and the Shamrock Shake. Or maybe a better example even still is like last year or 2019, KFC partnered with Cheetos for a, a Cheeto fried chicken sandwich covered in like hot Cheeto sauce. And they had a, a peach Mountain Dew flavor, an exclusive peach Mountain Dew flavor called Sweet Lightning. And then they, they had it for like a month and it was gone. What I'm, what I'm here to say is that people don't want KFC's bad fried chicken. They don't want KFC's bowls or, or their whatever, you know, their dry mashed potatoes. People want the hot Cheeto sandwich year round. Fast food places should just own up to the fact that it's bad food, it's, it's junk food, and only do, sure. not bad in quality, but like it's junk food, it's bad for you. Just do novelty. You know, Taco Bell, Taco Bell keeps like phasing out all of its like Frito items and all of its like joke things just have the joke things if i go to fast food i just want the joke food i don't want to be like oh yeah i'll get a salad from mcdonald's or i'll get like you know what i mean like a grilled chicken something from taco bell like no i want the cool ranch taco shell i want the cool ranch dorito taco shell and i want it filled with like greasy meat and i want fucking i want a I want a pressed little chipotle chicken and frito uh, burrito or a griller they used to call them a loaded griller People in the comments, people in the comments are going to be going crazy talking about the Chipotle Jeez. chicken loaded griller. Um, or, you know, Carl's Jr. has like a Captain Crunch shake seasonally. No, I want that oh. year round. I want to cool. get a Western. Ba Here's the thing. Here's the order. I want to go to I want to go to listen. I want to go to Carl's Jr. I want to get a Western bacon six dollar burger. I want to get a side of onion rings and I want to get a Captain Crunch shake. And then I want to just have a heart attack and die. I just want to drop dead. I mean, it doesn't sound like too much to ask for, Frank. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm. Throw a 10 spot, chuck a 10 spot on the, uh, on the red, up to the register and uh, say, thanks, kill me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, you me know what? down the river sticks. I, um, I haven't, we haven't had fast food in a while, but last night I just had the hankering. So, you know, I, I, I scooted myself down to Dick's. I got, uh, Four, I got four deluxe order of fries. You get a shake? No, no shake. I don't. I don't That's, need a shake. I don't need a shake. Well, uh, 
I can tell you right now, I ate, well, I got one of those deluxes in the fridge right now. I ate three of those four. And uh, I was watching TV. My eyes start feeling a little heavy. My body starts feeling a little heavy. It's, oh, it's yeah. 6.30 and I'm going, oh, I think it's um, bedtime. <laughs> I think it's time for me to just go lay down. And I had to. I mean, I really did just like slump over in the couch, just like breathing all hard through my mouth, like <sighs> for like an I'm hour. I'm sure it's been, a, it's been a while since, yeah. maybe for a lot of people since having uh, some of that good old takeout. I will say, well, no, we've been getting, well, we've been trying to support some local restaurants during all this, but uh, okay. I will say I am, I am glad that, but you know, it's like healthier, it's better, it's better for you food. It's a, mostly like Thai food and um, Korean and that kind of stuff. But no, it's, I'm, I will say I'm glad that Dix is doing well for itself, especially well, the one yeah. by us. Cause the one by us is like, I would consider that Stable. one. In the, yeah. That one and the one on Broadway are like historical landmarks. If yeah, something yeah. were to happen, that would be, um, yeah, it'd just be tragic. There have been a couple of places like that that I've heard of closing um, in the past year that have been like really one one place actually in particular for all the for all the local heads out there. Uh, Neon Boots over in Belltown just shut its doors. Just kind of like a everyone seemed to have a different description of it, but it kind of like this neon like John Waters themed kind of like desert bar, Ooh. very like very weird like kind of like kitsch uh like tacky camp bar but um in belltown in belltown probably like bar none the best spot to get a an ice cold beverage on a hot day and that was like a real hopefully they're going to reopen a different location but um yeah finding out that they didn't even close because of covid they they closed because the developer or a developer bought the building out from underneath them and said these are going to be condos instead and that's really really tough to deal with but let us know in the comments what your um, what the most impactful and upsetting uh, loss of the past uh, uh, twelve to let's say fifteen months has been. Also, um, let us know. Yeah, no, I have things to say. Thank you. Uh, also, oh boy! Oh geez! Oh, great! I'm just gonna go ahead and stop the recording now. Well, I just wanted to, to add a couple of things, and that's mm -hmm. number one. Let us know in the comments uh, if you would like to live in a. Um, a renovated bar. If you if you bought a condo and then you found out it was a renovated bar, would you? Uh, what would you do? And then the second thing is, I did want to mention about fast food while we're on the topic. I would love you to hear. It. You were mentioning get rid of kind of the lame stuff and keep the novelty in. I'm 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 jumping over to the drinks menu for a second. Yes. Get rid of drinks. Only thing you need to serve. Milkshakes. No, throw, come on. Throw, throw straws away. Throw lids away. You get a milkshake. No straw, no lid, no spoon. You have to drink your milkshake like you would a normal drink, like an adult. No and lid? If you buy, and if you, Just like... And if you... Yeah. Okay. And if you buy, or if you have to have a liquid drink, you have to drink it out of a sippy cup because that's for babies. I don't understand people... They're going to go and get Diet Coke with their burger and French fries. If you go and you get a burger and French fries, get a milkshake, enjoy it, go nuts. I mean, winter, I don't care. Look, obviously, this is sort of my hot take because this sure. is what I like to do or rather used to like to do. You know, if I go get a burger, I, I want to go get a burger and uh, some fries or curly fries, onion rings, whatever it is, a side, yeah. okay, and a milkshake. If you're going to go, go all the way. Forget the drinks. Don't even think about Diet Coke and like all that 
lame. I mean, not lame. Coke, please sponsor us. But yeah, Co- I, oh my god, more... if I could sell out for a Coca-Cola sponsorship in a heartbeat, oh my god, if they could put one of those Coke freestyle machines in my apartment. <laughs> I mean, look, Coke, Coke has its place, of course. I'm just yeah. saying, in a fast food joint, like a burger joint. I mean, not necessarily McDonald's. Like if you open up a burger joint, the staple drink should be a milkshakes, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Just or a malt. Maybe maybe smoothies, malts, sure, these types of things. Mm-hmm. Because those are you know you get a big a big hearty thick drink, bunch of dairy. You need a lot of dairy in there. Oh boy, yeah. And you just go nuts. You have your burger. You have your fries. I don't know. That's what I that's what I prefer, of course. Or back I, in the day, you know when yeah. it was. No, you know what? It's more fun to eat unhealthy. Well, it's still fun to eat unhealthy. It's just more, there's more suffering associated with it now. It's more of like um, uh, an act of penance. Um, Sure. Can I say, I think you're onto something. It's religious in a way. Yeah. Well, it's like you break from the asceticism for a moment and you uh, remember why you continue the asceticism. It's a painful reminder. um, No, I, I think you actually are onto something. If I could offer this though, one, uh, I am someone who normally I, I like if I, so if I'm bringing fast food home, I'm drinking water with it. Cause I don't want to ha- I don't like traditionally, I don't like soda with a meal, but okay. if I'm like driving somewhere, if I'm on the road in the real world and I'm, and I'm enjoying a fast food while I drive or while I'm parked somewhere, it's, I'm sorry, but I gotta go the biggest size Sprite they have. Because what I'm looking to do is I, I don't want to crowd my stomach with a milkshake and sides. Like if I go to McDonald's, I'm not doing like, oh, let me get a, a Big Mac and my large fry and my soda. When I go to McDonald's, it's let me get a Big Mac. Let me get two McDoubles and let me get a McChicken and then my big Sprite. And I wolf all that down in like 10 minutes and I pound that Sprite and then I, I sit and I hold my stomach like I'm going to burst and I, I hold it in and then we're good. But I, I see what you're saying. And I do like the idea of like um, a return to the classic burger joint aesthetic of having like you know, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry milkshake. Exactly. What I will argue for is that I think each fast food place, because I, you know, you can never part with the McDonald's Coke or McDonald's Sprite. The McDonald's soda is too sharp. It's too good. There's something they do with the, the, the syrup. I don't know. They do I'll something tell you different. What they put in it. You know what they put in it? They put MSG in it. That's what they do. They keep you coming back. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think every fast food place should have its own specific soda. So it's like if you're if you're a classic burger place like a Dick's or an In and Out or something like that, where it's like very small, scaled back menu, you have your milkshakes, but then you're you saying, have like okay, a house sorry, soda. Sorry. You have like yeah. one house soda. Okay. And it's like, I think if you're being safe you make it, you know, a citrus, you make it like a Sprite, something that's very like entry level and accessible for everyone. If you're being a little more rambunctious, then you do, you know, what I was talking about with KFC with like a peach Mountain Dew, or you do what Taco Bell did with the um, with Baja Blast. But I think that if you have your custom, you know, limited edition, or exclusive soda, you can only serve your exclusive soda. Okay. Yeah. I, I really I really like that. I like that because you know what? It should be it should be formatted like breweries. You've got your thing. You've got your menu, you've got your thing. And okay, maybe it exports to places, but in general, you've got your in-house recipe soda. Yeah. 
And it, it like if we if we could start over, if we could start over, start over, and form the American utopia. Yeah. There would be <laughs> there yeah. would be one soda per restaurant. Not so much is dictated by chains and franchises, mm-hmm. right? You've got a few local staples, and they have their distinct recipe. So you restart, and you've got I don't know instead of. Maybe one of them is like you've got that one place that has the kind of in this alternate history utopia, yeah. the rude beer type. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did you say the rude beer? Like R U D E? No, root, root. Oh, okay. I was getting excited for a second. I said, I'm trying to hear more about the rude beer. <laughs> no, root, root beer. Of course. Sure, sure, sure. And, uh, and, you know, in that state, maybe, or that kind of local vicinity. Yeah that's where the root beer derivatives are. So one specializes in a certain type of root, right? Or, you know, that, that sort of thing. And then maybe infusing flavors into it and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got your, in peach country, you've got your peach knockoff derivative sodas and stuff, all local kind of. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Kind of how sandwiches, kind of how sandwiches are in the U.S. Yeah. Okay, so you know? so maybe like you go out to Eastern Washington. So like out here, maybe we have um, oh I don't know maybe maybe okay maybe like the chain soda at fast food out around here in Western Washington would be like something that Jones produces. You know, it's like yeah. a, it's a it's a specialty Jones soda that's available at these fast food places if sure. they don't have their own in-house blend. But then you right. go out to Eastern Washington and maybe they have like um like maybe sort of like a, a carbonated cider, you yeah, know, yeah, or maybe exactly. like, yeah, like a, a, like a Concord grape soda or something yeah, like that. A twist. Okay. Yeah. Something yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a twist. Basically how, um, how beer in central Europe is. Can you expound on that a little bit without that's how soda would be? Well, as far as to my understanding, I don't know. I've, you know, in, in driving through, on one of your uh, many travels on one of my on one of my travels yeah go, going through and kind of seeing sites or trying to see sites i was told about uh how they structure breweries in particularly central europe so that means i mean central europe i'm just going to name off countries belgium germany poland czech republic austria maybe slovakia too so not not necessarily specifically Central America, but these types of countries do have the idea of local breweries. You've got, I don't know how many per region, they all do their own thing. Sometimes it's completely different. Sometimes it's based off of, you know, the lay of the land dictates what they specialize in, whether it's a, I don't know, dark red pills, pale, ales i mean all these things right sure um and sometimes they're similar based on regions sometimes they're completely different because that's just how it's been for however many mm-hmm. uh i don't know years and you're and you're just for clarification you're talking more about like the mass production brewery level no i'm i'm also talking about like in-house breweries hmm. like if okay. you're driving along the road and you stop at a place chances are also, kind of like how how wine is in probably probably 
France and Italy and stuff like that. But from my experience, how wine is more uh, in Eastern Europe, as you go a bit East, maybe a bit South, wine is kind of like that. Beer can be, but it's not as common as Czech Republic, Poland, Germany, Belgium, Austria. There it's beer because that's mm -hmm. flat. You know, they got their, all the ingredients required. Yeah. Whereas if you go closer to the seas, let's say Greece too, kind of, I mean, they do the same thing with cheese. If you go to places close to each other, the cheese is going to be similar. If you drive pretty far away, you're going to have a completely different flavor profile of cheese or wine or stuff like that. But it's mm -hmm. all different. Everybody does their own. They do it in-house. You've got a wine, uh, <clears throat> a little vineyard or a little agro-tourism place set up um, or a little dairy, dairy farm, for example. Milk can be done in this way. And yeah. so, you know, with, with a lot of different drinks, that's kind of how it's set up. And so I guess in the American utopia, it would also be this way. I mean, it would also be this way with uh, beer and stuff like that, rather than having in every, no matter where you are in the country, you're always going to have Miller Lite. And right. obviously there are local, local no, I, things. Yeah, I'm completely on the same page with you. Um, You're not I mean, as forced to focus on that one. Yeah. For example. Well, I mean, I think you're, it's, you are making the argument that the American utopia should follow a, a more classic heritage European model, which I completely agree. And not even European. I, I completely agree with because I think most of our issues uh, with America, you and I personally, and people maybe our age or of our generation, uh, it's becoming more aware of the, homogenization of, uh, of American consumerism and, and then I guess by proxy American cities because everyone has access to the exact same things but the exact same things are also produced I mean they're produced at, at such volume you know like our you know our local brewery is is churning out a little bit of everything and it's like that's fine good for them but I do think that there's an argument to be made for a little more specificity maybe um, yeah more like local flavor right. that is that is manipulated and, ch and changed across the board as opposed to introducing all these new things because then what you create is a culture that feels that anywhere they are in the country they can have the same experience and with how large america is that just shouldn't be the case it shouldn't be allowed to be the case um because if every city is equally desirable for these various points of merit then none of them are desirable they're all just sort of the same thing it contributes to like i said that same sort of homogenization of culture of of people's belief set of of the ways in which we interact with each other um and it's ultimately very detrimental anyway all this to say that i think let me add to that or you no no no, no add to it add to it add to it i was just going to circle back to fast food but please go on okay circle back to fast food in just a second i also want to want to throw in a little embarrassing uh miscue and that was i forgot to i forgot to mention probably the most famous country or famous region, famous set of countries uh, for this kind of thing in. Now, by the way, I just remembered also, okay, I'll get back to that in a second. The British Isles, yeah, home, hometown of Damon Money. Yes. Good old Britain. Right? Currently, Britain. currently MIA. Yeah, currently yeah. MIA, yeah. England, Ireland, Scotland. I mean, don't they, <clears throat> in my experience as well, they also do that local brewery thing. I mean, they also yeah. kind of, 
so it's also and I and uh, I also want to clarify really quickly. It's not to say don't take uh, this phrase of America should be more or this idea of America should be more like Europe. That's not the point. Right. I just want to just want to avoid for clarification purposes. That's not the point. It's just that there's a specific maybe it's advertising mm-hmm. that caused this. There's a specific pattern in terms of consumers, which every every country is a, is a consumerist capitalist society uh, by and large. By and large. But there's something uh, specific, like I said, perhaps it's the advertising about uh, the U.S. that it's not as localized. There's a lot of mm-hmm. national television and therefore national advertisements and therefore space and room for national brands. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that also comes along with the idea of franchising and 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 this whole thing. So it seems like it seems like in the U.S. I'm not saying this is the case. It just seems like you're not as spoiled for choice when it comes to uh, local options, let's say. Yeah. Specificity. I mean, America's great for yeah specificity, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a lot of a lot of companies have have subsidiaries, and you know, it falls under the umbrella. For example, Coca-Cola basically has half of the soda. I mean, it just makes half of the soda brands. Yeah. You know, you go to your factory, it puts orange flavoring in one of them, and it puts lemon lime flavoring in the other, and no food coloring. And those are your three most popular sodas in the country. Yeah. Whereas in other countries, Coca-Cola is like a luxury item and they make, it's like maybe half their range. They're like, you go to a place and maybe they have a Coke product and it's, if they do, it's like, we have Coke and Diet Coke, you know, that's the, that's as far as they've gotten in. That could be, but my point was mainly more for, um, uh, kind of in terms of, I mean, obviously whoever started Coca-Cola was not taking any credit away from them what an idea and what a job they did golly Mm -hmm. not taking anything away from for example these kind of old traditional type companies that basically monopolized the market because they did whatever they did long ago and they kind of innovated to that end but somehow there's there hasn't been the degree of little local pop-ups yeah kind of scattered throughout, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I know now, what you there, mean. there are some breweries and there's kind of the the whole beer thing is is getting there, but it's not as you have a history of a bunch of pop-ups everywhere. It's not a bad thing per se. It's just an observation. No, and I, I know so what I you mean. I just wanted to clarify that. Right, right. No, I mean, I'm not, I think, um, I think to, to say that we're making the argument for a more like Eurocentric, not even Eurocentric, because this is not how it is in just every other part of the world, except for um, large swaths of America. We're not making that argument. We're just, at least what I'm saying is that I think there will come a point in time, unless we do something about it, where we have become so uniform in <laughs> consumption that we can never return. Yeah. And where we are now is still a fine place because Obviously, I choose to live in Seattle because of what I have access to in Seattle specifically, culturally, in terms of food options, drink, culture, you know, uh, um, nightlife and, um, you know, I don't know, cultural belief and, and identification. Um, and, uh, and obviously, like every 
region of America still has that, but there are also a lot of small towns that once had that, um, that have since been bulldozed by, you know, not bulldozed, but, you know, culturally, culturally raised by Amazon and Walmart and sure. yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola and just larger, large corporations, corporate values, corporate advertising. You're definitely, you're spot on with the advertising because you go to any other country and the idea of like these huge banner ads for, right. for, for something that's like out of the question, you might have the small advertisements, but for the most part, you're getting the same, like cut, cut copy, uh, you know, woman enjoying, enjoying a Euro on the inside of the little Euro shop of the little, like pop in, get a sandwich, pop back out. You know what I mean? It's like, sure. uh, it's a very different sort of advertising understanding. And that is, that is definitely like advertising the way we understand it is an American invention, hundred percent. Um, yeah. Hey, I don't know. We're getting a little into the weeds, but I, suffice yeah. to say that we. <laughs> I'll start with the fast food. Um, the level of of homogenization of of cultural desolation that we're talking about mm -hmm. has not fully reached us. But then again, it hasn't reached us because in a larger or hasn't reached me because in a larger city, it's more difficult to break down these existing cultural icons and. Or cultural iconography and, and cultural value but and you know in new york and in l.a and stuff like that but you know the the flyover states the midwest these are places that have kind of seen the impact of that and i guess that's also why there's a lot more hometown pride for places like you know pull something out of a hat like uh baltimore um omaha kansas city places like that where you know if you're if you're from there if you know the cool local spots there's a great sense of pride in it and each city like yeah. that has like a real like you know baltimore is like famous for the crab cakes for for a crab boil for the seafood and they have been i'm just like everywhere or like detroit you know you have the, the detroit style pizza and like you know or like chicago with the different meats and stuff you know each place has this like hyper specific thing in the same way that we have seafood um yeah because it's that's like the real bastion of of cultural value and identity i guess that's yeah. what this really is is it's a conversation about cultural identity and a fear of losing it as we progress further and further into like a yeah. i don't know the way that corporations have kind of pivoted to act as though not that not only they're our friends but that they understand our cultural values and it's that sort of like insidious nature of of advertising that we're being subject to now sure. um despite our our awareness of it yeah. um yeah, and I think also that's, I mean, bringing up food, because that is, by the way, that's a separate conversation from my point. We won't get into it, but I think food is something about the U.S. If you venture into other countries, particularly uh, Europe, that also is prevalent, mm -hmm. this idea of regional foods and local foods. But by and large, the menu is not gonna be so varied. Yeah. And that's something really cool about the US is you can go to different states, different cities, different regions, and granted it's different states, going from state to state in the US is going from like country to country in Europe to be fair, Yeah. right? But that is something very cool about the US. Uh, and that's also something that I think should be the case that people have uh, local pride for like, their cool thing because yeah. i mean i haven't been necessarily to as many states as i would like but i've been around a bit and that's also a very cool thing to go and try like chicago style pizza 
and like to go and, and have the, I don't know, seafood in the US and then sort of the, I don't know, kind of barbecue-ish roast type stuff in, for example, Colorado. I haven't been uh, too far south, but Colorado does kind of meat stuff, you know, sort of like, um, maybe like Italian American versus classic Italian, you know, or like Tex-Mex, the ways in which these things have been like adapted and adjusted and like, you know, the regional ways, specific ways, the East coast having their like sure. specific version of Italian food. Um, sure. But at the same time, you know, with this whole conversation about like cultural desolation or, or carbon copy, you know, this sort of epidemic, um, this is not in any way a condemnation of the American diner of the no, stop never. anywhere on the side of the road, get yourself a good hot plate of some classic cuisine. That'll never be a condemnation of that. And I'm not just talking about Sherry's. I'm talking no, about no. your Waffle House. I, we're not talking yeah. about your Denny's. We're not talking about your Denny's, but we're talking about your Waffle House, we're talking about your Sherry's. We're talking about your independence. We're talking about your, you know, you're, you're putting along in, in God knows where you're driving through, you're driving through damn, I don't know. Yuma, Arizona. Walla Walla. Oh, oh okay. No. Yeah. Oh, what in the sticks? Way out. You're you're driving. Okay, look, okay. look. You're driving through Wallace, Idaho, and you're okay. putting along, and you find yourself a little okay. a little greasy spoon to go in. Get yourself what are you getting? Chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, ice cold beer. Get on the road again. I'll tell you what. Driving through Wyoming, I was driving through. I, maybe you know about this. Going to Colorado, and we stopped in a city called it was like Carson or something. And I and it was just a big old a big old podunk uh, middle of nowhere. I don't know. I'm sure the northern part of Wyoming is more fun to drive through. The southern part of Wyoming just just bored me to death. And then there was like a stop and a problem with like the road, and then a problem with the bumper. I had to get out. And then there was like a just so happened there was like a beehive in the area. Got attacked by a bunch of bees. What a mess! But you know what? You've always got your diners, even in, I can't remember, Carson or something, something Wyoming, something to the south of yep. Wyoming, middle of nowhere. They had one hotel and it's like, but you still got your staple diner classic. Go get yourself a club sandwich. And I tell you, that's something that you will miss if you leave the U.S. I can tell you yeah. right now, you will be uh, very reminiscent when thinking about a good old club sandwich. Hot cup of I'm, hot cup of bad coffee, but I tell you what, it's getting the job done. Mm -hmm. That's another thing too. I mean, just to continue Turkey on with beverages. Sands bacon. There is some there is something to be That's said. To like you know, when I'm when I'm talking about how, you know, breweries in the US because in the US we were followed very closely the like lager model or like you know, uh, like a Munich hell or that kind of thing. Like the Amer the American beer is all based off of like one or two that has since become the synonymous American beer. But sure. But with like breweries getting, you know, brewers becoming a more advantageous industry and people bringing their expertise in and making all these different beers, like the brewery closest to us is really big on like saisons and like double, triple IPAs, like very like experimental, imperial stouts, experimental beers, um, or more like kind of, you know, the connoisseur's beer. In that same level of connoisseurship or rather mock connoisseurship is like the third wave coffee roasting scene, which as much as I love, there is an argument to be made that at a certain point, as third wave practices become more um, prevalent, not just in America, but across the world, we first have 
uh, more ease of access to good coffee, to great coffee, to, to ethically sourced coffee, to beans from all around the world, different roasting practices. But then at a certain point, if you have so much available to you everywhere, then you have nothing available to you anywhere. Like if I, if I can go to being conservative here, 50 different coffee shops in the city that are all roasting their own, then I could just as easily go to fucking, I don't know, not Starbucks, but you know what I mean? Like a Seattle's best or a Tully's or something like that. Because at a certain point, unless you are, unless you are, you know, really deeply involved in the culture, coffee's kind of coffee and to the consumer, it stops being, yeah, I guess that's the thing. You turn connoisseurs into consumers because it's no longer a destination. It's no longer a place where people are like, Oh, did you hear that? fucking for like Ladro has a, has a, a, a Burmese bean that they just brought in. It's like really like fascinating bean that they just brought in. It's like, Oh yeah, let's go check that out. Now it's just, no, it's a block away from my house and I'm getting an Americano. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, now, you know, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go on. I had something I wanted to add to that because I find that interesting. Now keep in mind, listeners, I'm no expert. So what I said about local spots and this idea of kind of what, how it feels a bit more in Europe, maybe that's, maybe that's a symptom of, of it being older yeah. in Europe. You know what I mean? Time to establish this type of thing. But it also could be, keep in mind, what Jared just described with coffee could be the very thing that locals are saying about beer in the Czech Republic, for example. It could be the exact same thing. I don't know. I don't actually know. I was just, you know, we're just kind of talking about it from what if things were more distinct and local within a spot in the U.S., kind of how it feels in Europe. But it could very well be that uh, what's going on is almost the same. And you have your local things in the U.S., and it feels oversaturated, like what you were saying with coffee. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it could be the very same thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's not just that it's oversaturated. It's like that's interesting. I'm not going to give away free game on the pod. Obviously, people, listeners who have been with us for a while, know my involvement in in coffee, um, and like the industry at large. But I believe yeah, again, Central Perk. You were I'm not going to give away Central Perk. <laughs> eat my ass. I'm not going to give <laughs> give away this free game. You know. But I firmly believe okay. that there is a way in which to approach these industries um, with a level mm-hmm. of, let's say, reverence and respect sure. for respect for the people who you are who you are reaching out to that you're extending that olive branch and saying, try this. There's a way to mm-hmm. do it that I firmly believe has not been done that can mm-hmm. save an industry like this. The closest thing to come back around to my local brewery is what Holy Mountain does right by us where sure it's very experimental beer, but it's approaching it in such a no frills, if you don't like it, get the fuck out kind of attitude. Not like not like being sassy, just truly like we're making something that we want, that we enjoy. I guess, obviously there's a lot of hypocrisy in what we're talking about because it's kind of like, you know, oh, we're against yeah. homogenization, but oh, but then, you know, if you if you go to, if you're too culturally dynamic, too culturally diverse, and that's a bad thing too, you know, it's, it's very nuanced, but Right. I do think that a big part of like what makes a, a Czech Pilsner and the history of a Czech Pilsner so important and so interesting and so 
such a source of local pride is the way the producer feels about it and their identity that's tied to it in the same way that as I'm talking about Holy Mountain, my local brewery, it's the producers who feel so strongly about it. It's a product that they have really invested their time in that they believe is, is integral to their experience and their experience specifically in the city, in Seattle, in America, in their lifetime that draws people in. And that's how you create a more isolated, culturally valid consumerist experience. Okay. And that's what a lot of big brands are hoping to do, but it's just advertising. You know, we come back around to that. Okay. Um, do you want to, yeah, there you, you go. I mean, do you have any closing thoughts or do you want to get into this week's short stories? I think that's about it. We can get into this week's short stories. I mean, that was, you know, that was awfully tangential. I mean, we weren't necessarily planning on talking about food and uh, local stuff, but it's an interesting conversation. And maybe yeah. let us know in the comments if that's, if that's something uh, you've noticed or where you come from, right, as yeah. well. Something in the comments. Shoot us an email. At David Foster Wallace and Gromit. Yep. At David Foster Wallace and Gromit at gmail.com. Or David Foster Wallace Shoot, us, Shoot us an email. I, I personally, I speaking for myself, look, Steve, I'll say it. I would love to know what local delicacy or local beverage That's people are, are enjoying. I would love yeah. to know. I would frankly exactly. love to know. Because while where are you from and yeah. what is what is your thing? So if anybody's uh, listening to this, I would I, I am genuinely curious. What are what are some cool places out there? And if and you if you have a, a cool thing there? that is potentially available to us again we are we're spoiled by choice until and for for now it's a good thing until it becomes very negative uh if if it's something that's available to us by all means let us know where we can potentially find it because i would love to get my grubby hands on whatever your favorite thing might be uh just as i love to yeah. get my grubby hands on anything um yeah and just uh, you know i would cool. I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you so much to Nabisco, the Oreo parent company to, to Oreos and Nabisco uh, for sponsoring this segment. Um, really just such a great opportunity to partner with a company that we can believe in. Thank you so much, Nabisco. And uh, Steve, I believe uh, the truck pulled the up way, to you I this morning. Say, I, I just wanted to uh, jump in. Thanks, Nabisco. And I don't know if you knew this, Jared, but the only company in United States history to not only be a large-scale organization, corporate organization, but to support all local ventures for cookie makers throughout the world. Did you know that? I did not Thanks, know that. Nabisco. Thank you, Nabisco. Thank you, Nabisco, so much for all the hard work you do and everything you do for this podcast. Um, do you want to talk about Pinchin? Right. Let's jump in. <laughs> so Pinchin this what? week, so wait, let's start. Cheeks? Oh, we're, oh. Listen, welcome to, well, yeah, welcome to Pinch and Cheeks, a David Foster Wallace and Gromit's uh, podcast within a podcast where we discuss the works of to, uh, notoriously or infamously uh, secretive author. Uh, By the I mean, way, I did, I, I also have to clarify this, Pin, Pinch and Cheeks, uh, my mind was not in the gutter. I was, I was thinking of the, you know, babushkas walking up to you and grabbing your face cheeks, facial cheeks. And sort of pinching this no 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 you can't walk this one back you're feeling like ricardo rumpus right about now you know you know that my mind was not there no, you, were saying, was, you were saying pinching cheeks like a little butt cheek no the listeners if you've been here uh and listening for a while you know that my my priority for this podcast is to make it and keep it family friendly and that means no swear words no potty mouth, no dirty language, and no talking about pinch and cheeks on the rear end side, but rather on the face side. 
I mean, maybe so, on the podcast, I distinctly remember before we started recording, you said, yeah, today I was uh, <clears throat> riding the bus into town and I, uh, I start at the back of the bus. I work my way forward. Anyone with a little bit of exposed skin, I'm pinching that butt and I just work my way to the front of the bus. I, I get off before anyone knew it was me. And I said, that's an interesting thing to tell me. Are you sure you want to do that on pod? And you say, no, no, you got to cut that out. Folks, I just want you to know that uh, I have the faith that you guys, uh, that you guys know us well enough to know that my number one priority, family friendly, you know, you know what was what's going on, and I appreciate you for uh, for understanding. And thanks Nabisco for sponsoring this bit. I just want to say thanks Nabisco for sponsoring um, 20, 20 Money One's official uh, outing and apology of butt cheek bill to the David Foster Wallace and Gromit family. Anyway, do you want to talk about Pynchon now? <laughs> Let's talk about Thomas Pynchon. Tomas. Uh, do you want to start with the small rain or do you want to start with lowlands? Well, I think we should start it off in uh, the order in which they appear in the book, don't you think? I, no, I agree. I just, um, I, I will say I much preferred the small rain. I mean, we can, they're, they're short enough. We can kind of, you know, we're at the 46 minute mark. Why don't we just, I mean, we, let's, let's start here. What was your favorite? And then we'll kind of go into the synopsis. I say let's zip through it. I'm I'm uh, I'm with you. Um, yeah. Maybe a bit more on the small rain yeah. rather than lowlands. But they I, they both have their place. They both have yeah. their point. They both have their style certainly, which Pynchon is known for. I mean, this is kind of the you read it and it feels like the crying of Lot Forty Nine. Yeah. Okay. It has that kind of bizarre, also very nickname heavy. Yes, very you know nickname what I mean? heavy. He's having a kind lot of, of fun with the names. Centric, mm -hmm. nickname heavy. That's one thing that we love about Pynchon is, and keep in mind, I've only it's only this slow learner, and uh, and crying of Lot Forty Nine that I've gotten into. Uh, I picked up Gravity's Rainbow. I tried Gravity's Rainbow. It is one of those where I think you need kind of a class and maybe a bit more structure mm -hmm. to really understand. Just to, just to give an intro to Pynchon, Gravity's Rainbow is, is his most famous, yeah. uh, bar none, and kind of a, a behemoth. Yeah. Well, same with um, in the literature world. Was it Mason and, Dixon? Mason Dixon is his other oh, like sure. tome. Yeah. Sure. So I got, are, and he's notorious for being a very complicated uh, writer to read, and I think yeah. a lot of the probably maybe a lot of the Gravity's Rainbow heads out there, or rather the Gravity's Rainbow podcasts that I know you guys are listening to. Yeah. I I just have the feeling that it's one of those books, much like Ulysses by James Joyce, that, you know, a lot of people kind of read it and, you know, like it because you know you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's hard to get into the meat of. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to assume the worst Again, I have no idea. I've never heard anything about Gravity's Rainbow mm -hmm. in the real world, let alone on a podcast. But it feels to me like one of those very uh, heady kind of silly books. Like, for example, there's a lot out there about how Finnegan's Wake is a is a masterpiece. And um, I don't know, is it? Or is it just like a guy yeah. who wanted to be silly? I think there are a lot of moments in that like yeah. that to me in gravity's my rainbow where i read it and it's like 
maybe there's deeper meaning to this, but also maybe it's just a guy who's like coming up with silly names and saying silly words because it gets a little kick out of it. Oh, I mean, I think that's like a big through line in Pynchon's work. Oh, so I've read, I've read in here sure. advice. I've read crying a lot 49. We're reading uh, slow learner. And uh, I have a copy of um, was it Vineland sitting around here somewhere yeah. that I've been, I've been trying to crack into that I bought a little bit ago and you know, I might, maybe I'll crack into that this week. Um, I like him a lot because yeah, it does. It feels like uh, it does feel like it's someone having fun, but I think that that's important sometimes in, in literature, especially for this. And I don't think that detracts from the value. I, I think that it, it reminds, I like Pynchon because it reminds me a lot of Flan O'Brien, both of which are, yeah. I think, equally difficult to get into. And it's very clear that it's, there is like a level of self-indulgence, but it's not offensive. It's not vulgar. Um, it comes off like it's sort of a little joke between the author and you. And if you can really enjoy it and you can pull from it what he's hoping you do, then it's it's a lot of fun. I guess maybe like Philip Roth in that same way too, where it's like there I was, is there's I was something for you. I was just about to mention Philip Roth, except for Philip Roth to me from my side, from what I've read, Philip Roth is more offensive and vulgar. Yeah, I think me. that's also like a he's very in it's the a same <laughs> family of yeah tension. hyper specific experience. Yeah, it's it's more full on you know you know what i mean like well he just wants to yeah philip roth is addicted to writing books about or or was addicted i don't know uh to writing books about um just cranking it just like (laughs) 300 400 pages of just jerking off just like yeah and that's the and he turns into the editor and he says they say what's this one about he says be you know just cranking my hog and they say great we love it we'll we'll get back to you i don't know maybe i haven't read the best but i i I don't no, he, know. There no, are, like there Portnoy's complaint and stuff. He likes a, yeah, a sniveling, a sniveling guy who likes to jerk off. That's like his, that's his big thing. Yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of, there are some authors out there where it's like, they're so highly regarded in the, I don't know, organized literature scene. Then again, I've never been in the organized literature scene, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're academia. the founder of it. <laughs> Come on. Academia for literature and things like that. But I don't know. I think there are a lot of a lot of authors that that get thrown out there just on the merit of of uh, kind of it being a, a sort of an edgy name mm-hmm. to not not edgy. What am I trying to say? Kind of like in, in vogue, incendiary. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like a socially acceptable. Incendiary is what you were going to say. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah, controversial in vogue, and there were just kind of names that hit that become kind of the thing, the go-to. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm really not sure if there's a aesthetic value in the writing. I don't, I don't actually know, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know that. I will, well, I will say this just to keep- there are experts out there that can drop a comment and I mean, give, us, you know, give us a thought. If you wanna talk about like um, obscenity in Vogue, then that's a larger conversation about like the entire beat era. It's like, you know, how did, how did, how did, did Naked Lunch sit with you? Or for that matter, how did like second sure. second stage or, or like mid-career Ballard sit with you when we read that kind of stuff? You know, it's, it really, sure. you, but I, I do firmly believe just to, to put a pin in, I firmly believe that those do have value uh, in particular what Burroughs was doing in the period. But no, what I, what I was gonna say is just to talk about Pynchon, I think an important note is that Slow Learner, these were his, his college short stories. He wrote these as a very young man. Uh, either, yeah. I don't know if this is, this was like just after his military service. Um, sure. And I firmly believe that these have value. Um, 
in in the weirdness even lowland even though lowlands didn't i didn't cotton to it as well um i really enjoyed because it felt much more autobiographical if that makes sense considering the subject matter makes sense because it it felt like because i believe he was in the navy and it it feels like sort of his maybe it's intentional but compartmentalized love letter or his own feeling of like what what am i doing what am i like oh no where have i you know, where have I found myself? All I, all I know at this point in time, all I know is the sea and I have this urge to churn a story out. I have something to say, but I can barely parse that against this, this feeling of like the rocking boat and and my mother's womb and the very like maternal nature of the sea. Um, Right. I guess just for a brief synopsis, we should say that, that the small rain, I want, I recommend both these, but the small rain is about sort of a, uh, you know, a, 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 what's what do you call it? a soldier or a, an enlistee who's become sort of sedentary who's who spends his days he's been in the, the army for quite some time now but spends his days just kind of shirking off work and you know getting into hijinks sort of a hogan's heroes type type character um yeah. who is sent to go be part of the aid relief effort for the small town during a hurricane and in the you know he's he's regarded by his peers as sort of a careerist in that he has zero motivation he hopes to just be in the same sort of lazy layabout position in the military his whole life. And then in order to effectively feel something, he takes a day out of this relief effort to just anonymously move dead bodies, to just trawl around the bayou, picking up these dead bodies quietly, solemnly, you know, reflectively. And then at the end, he's told like, no, go ahead and take your leave. Day is done. And he just kind of moves on. And it's this sort of feeling of, complacency and of what exactly military careerism looks like and and the the very detached nature of what he does of relief of of patriotism of effort at large and then lowlands just kind of follows that same theme of a guy who has long since left the military but was sort of unable to despite being relatively successful unable to really cement himself in regular day-to-day life with with his wife who he's become estranged with his his weird friends who are you know, in lesser positions than him, one who's a, a on the run, one who's a garbage man, and they just kind of sit around getting drunk all day, not a care in the world. Eventually, uh, you know, his wife tells him to leave. He ends up at a, at a literal garbage patch at the dump, still, still just getting drunk with his his piggy friend. His friend just called pig, his little gross gross out <laughs> navy pals, and um, here's a calling in the middle of the night from a, a gypsy from a a character who apparently lives in the dump and follows this woman only to discover that she is about three feet tall. Um, not explicitly a dwarf, but just this little, this little like Smurf kind of person that he follows down a garbage hole and decides, you know, I've been complacent for so long. I've, I've found nothing I've wanted in life. I've been too desperate to return to the sea. So I guess I'm just going to marry this little three foot gypsy woman. And I live at the dump. I guess now. I live here now. I guess I live at the dump now. Yeah, the final line where he's like, you know, I guess my wife and I never really did have a daughter. And, you know, maybe, you know, I, I look to this person like, you know, as a daughter, but potentially as my new wife. And I guess I live here. I guess I live at the dump now. <laughs> um, I, I personally yeah. really enjoyed. I thought Lowlands was great because that twist was really just so pleasant. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just like an alcoholic ex-sailor who, who's you know i have ambitions but i can't actualize any of them i live i live at the shire basically this house is completely <laughs> mossed over in the sea and uh and i'm just gonna go leave for my little three-foot wife but the small yeah. rain 
especially in the small rain where he's he's puffing his little stogie and the the college girl right. is saying like you know better them than us better that this whole town got wiped out by the hurricane than this shitty than college, college bar yeah. and uh yeah. and he's just like dead just dead behind the eyes oh yeah when they're the, that sex scene where you know he's saying like effectively what's her name buttercup buttercup knew little little buttercup yeah knew that he what he had seen that he had just been through absolute hell in the past 24 hours and he he just couldn't care less he's like that's fine i'm, I'm gonna fuck you and then i'm gonna go out to nolens out to nolens and i got myself a little piece out there too and it's like right jesus christ yeah yeah just completely right yeah yeah i really enjoy yeah did you um did you read any other part of it did you have you read any of the other uh, short stories uh no okay. no no we're we'll, we'll get to it but i think yeah. the <clears throat> these were the highlighted stories for now so what and did we'll you think you got what any, next week brings but you uh, got a you got a couple a couple hot takes a couple of a little opinions tell you know tell the listener tell our dear listeners tell the real grommet heads out there a little bit about what we read for this week well first i uh so, sort of an interesting thing to to discuss is the the reading material of the characters in the right right in the first in the first story and that is that uh, sort of what, what how would you describe it what was it swamp swamp wench swamp wench it's a it's swamp like a wench. it's a, a paperback yeah. it's a what do you call it? it's um pulp. It's, pulp, it's pulp fiction it's a little porno it's a little yellow page it's sure. a, literally a, a giallo novel it's a it's a little yellow yeah. page porno yeah 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 so he's just he's got it folded in his back pocket he's telling <laughs> when he goes back to there and he sees um what's his name picnic and picnic's like it's pouring yeah. rain he's like that's actually pretty good pretty good little book you got here <laughs> you should give this a you should give this a go and then rizzo is just not happy because rizzo yeah. quotes who does he, who did he quote he quotes hemingway yeah or what was it? it hemingway didn't like rain <laughs> like i don't like rain neither did hemingway oh, <laughs> very sort of i don't know they're they're kind of the kind of the types of characters that i guess as you you, you know you realize they're they're enlistees or youngsters kind of kind of dopes yeah and you kind of you, you read it and you I mean, I guess that's the idea is that you're supposed to kind of smirk at these goofballs yeah. who are, who are, you know, young. Well, they're like people like Rizzo too, who was in, in university or something. He's a yeah. college kid or something who enlists. Yeah. enlists. Yeah. And, that, and then sort of the, the consensus is that they're, uh, they, they joined for whatever cause it may be to simply ditch work and complain about not having a cause. Yeah. It's this, you know, in intentionally silly uh, situation, hijinks, you might say. Yeah. That these goofballs are getting into. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good because he, Pynchon wrote it close to our age. So the touchstones are people, you know, not specifically that we know, but they're people that everyone kind of knows, you know, Baxter's sure. like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't need to go to school. He's like the most well-rounded. And he's like, I don't need to go to school. I have, I have, you know, real life experience. And there's Picnic and Lardass right. who are just complete bums, but they at least can, yeah. pretend, they kind of posture as though once upon, he's like, oh, I was an athlete. I did go to school, but yeah, now I'm here. And then there's Rizzo, who's just the, the would-be erudite, you know, sort of uh, know-it-all. Who then there's that, is he the one at the sure. bar scene? I'm trying to remember if it was him at the bar who like gets too drunk, tries to swing on someone, just immediately tips over. Isn't that Baxter? Or is that, it's Baxter, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, just these people, it's like, you, yeah, you know, all these people, you know, these are all people that you've met in your life yeah. at some point or another. Yeah, yeah. And then to see all these guys, much like I think most people would faced with a very human experience, completely unable to separate themselves from the sort of like dissociated malaise that they've come under that they've come to accept. And they're right. just sort of stuck in time again. And it's like, well, all right, I'm going on leave now. I guess it's, I have to leave. It, yeah, it's, yeah. My week, it's my weekend. Or for the rest of them, well, yeah. I'm just going to go back to the hot Louisiana base, just a, just yeah. sand and concrete. And I'm just going to stare at the ceiling all day. Hmm. I think it's a very, it must be, it's a very, um, I mean, again, spoken as someone who's never been in the military, it feels like a very modern military kind of experience, especially with like Americans stationed all over the world. A lot of these bases where you just kind of, you know, like a friend of mine who was in the Air Force who was on, it was in Korea. And he's you know, it's like, what do you do all day? He's like, you just kind of hang out. <laughs> you just kind of kick it. Shoot some hoops. You, you clean, you clean and you walk around and then you have the time to yourself. And yeah, you just kind of like play cards and watch movies mm -hmm. and play video <laughs> gamble games. For, gamble for smokes. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just chain smoke. That's, I mean, I feel like that, there's no more emblematic uh, uh, military experience, American military experience in the modern world than just like power Cigarettes. smoking. Yeah, standing somewhere, just power smoking and being like, now what? It's like, I have more of this. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. And then how did you feel about, you know, do you have any any takes on, uh, on, on Lowlands or maybe even Lowlands as it relates to another piece that we read, i.e., the sailor who fell from grace with the sea sure yeah. there there are there are some some let's say considerations on that end lowlands is also in that category as you described of of uh it, it's somebody you know yeah it's somebody you know or somebody you will know or someone you right? are potentially or, exactly or yeah. someone you are right 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 low low motive just yeah low low motivation <laughs> just kind of like stumbling then one one day you wake up and you go this is not my beautiful house this is not my beautiful wife yeah well or or one day you wake up and your buddy's knocking on the door and your wife says no that's a, i've had it up to here you're gone take your well, friends somewhere else i yeah. don't want to see you again well and his first and suggestion you know. is like oh i have a little briar patch in the backyard that i've fitted with a mattress <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go sleep there yeah, yeah. yeah. and that <clears throat> that's sort of yeah i guess in the end you you kind of you kind of got to think of how how we prioritize things i mean in in the end it came to not on, not you know ignoring the wife for a second but it came to prioritizing being in the middle of being What's the term stuck in the motion or going through the motions? Yeah, going through the motions. It took rather than having a bed, it was the priority was to stay in going through the motions, yeah. to stay being stuck. Stay being complacent. Right. It's just kind drinking, of like I drinking I, with I, the buds, just changing locations. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's basically that's effectively the idea is you change locations. You're still doing the exact same thing. Yeah. You're still in the situation. You don't have a place to sleep, but it's okay because if you go to the dump, there's going to be a warehouse full of mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. And you just got to grab one this... quickly before the gypsies get to them. Yeah, exactly. So sit, in a, this... sit in a candlelit room telling your sea shanties and then complaining that despite your love for the sea, you don't have, really have a good sea story or you're like too afraid right. to tell one for your own 
I don't know, understanding that's, of your experience, your closeness? Yeah, yeah, that's also kind of a highlight, I would say, is that <clears throat> in spite of it all, he didn't have a, a story to tell. Yeah, it when was it too, came down to it. It was too personal for him. He didn't have this, sure. these like heinous sailor stories because he he had such reverence and such admiration for the sea or fear, perhaps. I mean, it was, right. it was very much so he regarded the sea the way he regarded his moss-covered, you know, hobbit hole with the idea right. of it being like a, a womb. It was, and then his little briar patch, it was all his sort of inability to grow up, his stunted nature following him yeah. through life and, and this sort of continued malaise. Yeah, um, we, you know, we, we do build up sacrament and iconography let's say mm-hmm. um and and perhaps attach them where they where they are not meant to be or right you're not meant to be but uh attach them willy-nilly mm-hmm. let's say and so that's yeah it's an interesting thing to think about they're yeah. re- definitely recommended stories pensions a recommended author there's definitely value to take from it while it is confusing and silly and difficult to understand, it is one of those where I think you can you can uh, value it at the end. Like I said, I have questions about some other authors or stories. Like maybe I'm just too dumb to kind of say, ah, okay. Like with Roth, you know, with Portnoy's complaint, maybe I'm just too dumb to to at the end of the day look at it and say, oh wow, what a yeah. But it could also be, you know. Could also be the the New York Times review on the back is just also some schmuck who's uh, who wants to sound like they uh, they got it. It might uh, maybe there's it, not something to get. It might just not be for is. you. I mean, maybe maybe exactly maybe you're over here saying I don't I don't want my Philip Roth. Maybe I'm a little more comfortable with a uh, Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> you know, could be. That's a little more your speed. Yeah, could be my speed. You just you just don't know. So so yeah. you know these are these are of course things we have to consider uh, when it comes to books and literature and things like that. And that's why we have uh, <clears throat> that's why it's nice to have so many options. And uh, we do our best. I tell you, you know what I bet would be a real treat to read for the podcast would be um, like a Brady Stanellis short story. Okay. I bet we could really get some get some. I bet that has some legs. But uh, for now, it's we're at the uh, yeah. hour and eight minute mark. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say, so let's wrap it up. you know, we, we bungled it again. We didn't get a chance to talk about infinite jest, but I think we had a nice conversation about pension. We had a nice conversation about consumerism, about kind of the, the nuanced approach one has to take. And, you know, it's kind of like any sort of um, cultural or maybe like um, socio cultural, sociopolitical uh, theory or discussion where, um, you know, we certainly aren't positing a, a cure to, to the problems or, or a solution to the problems, but it's something that you have to approach with, with nuance and some degree of, uh, uh, you know, understandable hypocrisy. It's sort of the, the nice private understanding that we all keep with the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we had a nice productive talk. Uh, again, thank you so much to Nabisco for sponsoring us this week. And, and we hope to continue a, a nice partnership in the future. Uh, again, reach out to us at David Foster, Wallace and Grom at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe on, on iTunes podcasts or, uh, uh, iTunes and, um, the hell's it called spotify leave us a review um <clears throat> and for next week steve correct me if i'm wrong i believe we discussed this last time but we are going to yeah. be getting into uh the v v-i-y of course this is the uh i think pretty well-known classic by uh, nicholas gogol author of uh, dead souls uh taras bulba etc 
I don't know why it's, that's underneath the, the author note here. Um, we're getting into a little Russian, I guess we could call it um, classic, classic horror, a little spooky. I think some people might be familiar with the film. Um, it might scare, it might scare you. I think the film's probably, it might be available through uh, Criterion. So I might try to take a peek at that going into this okay. as well. Get a little bit, but it's another, it's another classic novella that we can uh, use as we, as we use every week's short story or novella uh, to better color uh, our understanding of David Foster Wallace, a seminal classic, Infinite Jest, uh, as a better sure. way to contextualize and, and move forward in our reading, as we hope that you do as well. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, Steve, any, any closing remarks? I just wanted to say again, thanks to Nabisco. And I wanted to read a quick uh, soundbite that they have asked us to. Sure. So whenever you need a crunchy snack, just ask Nabisco, we've got your back. It's just maybe something to think about a little quick, uh, just a little quick soundbite from them. Thanks Nabisco. And uh, we really appreciate everything you've done. And to all who've listened or are listening or will be listening, like I said, send us an email or drop a comment or just say hi if you're there. I don't know. And uh, let us know local favorites, like, you know, like we said before, with food, with drinks. What are some local favorites? Where do you come from? And what's, what's the thing? We want That's to hear from you. curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then uh, comment-wise, also let us know what's your favorite Nabisco snack. Come yeah. on. That's all, all right. I got to say. All right. I mean, I know personally after this, <clears throat> I'm going to be digging into a nice complimentary box of Nilla wafers. Uh, thank you so much, Nabisco. And I might, I might even go crazy on a little Cheez-It later as well. Thank you so much, Nabisco. Uh, anyway, thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week. Again, we're reading Nicholas Gogol's uh, The V. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Tonight